Welcome to In an Instant, a true survival story podcast. My name is Leanne, and this is my sister, Nikki. Hi. Hi. So, Nikki, what's your little Einstein this week? Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even think about it. You go first. Okay, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay, my little Einstein. Gosh, you know what? I don't think... Wait, I got it. Okay. So me and Oscar are getting married October Friday the 13th. And that's like basically already cursed. So I decided to crochet him a cursed sweater to curse our marriage even more. And that's kind of motivational for me. That is a great motivational one. I... (laughs) to put a curse on our on our marriage and that hasn't even started yet yeah i I like it though (laughs) i like it i'm like in my little my little apartment brewing potions yeah casting spells oh my gosh okay my little einstein this week is uh so my son sammy uh he was too young for a while to kind of like because you know when you're a little baby it doesn't really matter what your room looks like yeah so we didn't have a lot of room like pictures on his walls or anything because like he didn't really care and then I noticed just I would say like maybe like last weekend he like started to get scared of his room and didn't like being in it and he was realizing that his sister got to play with the kindle but he doesn't so my little Einstein the thing that's like giving me like just super energized motivation and like happy is we got Sammy's room all decorated and pretty we're still working on it but it's got pictures what are you gonna decorate it uh you know we keep kind of going back and forth I don't think I'm gonna do a specific theme I think I'm just gonna put a bunch of stuff that he likes so he (laughs) likes Curious George and Mickey Mouse I'm gonna put those in there but I just he's growing up so fast and it's just like it's getting me so excited. He'll he likes to push buttons on toys. Oh, yeah, that's the best. And, yeah, and he gets super proud of himself for it. So he wants a kiss. Like a rewarding oh. kiss after every time he pushes a button. You know, sometimes people never grow out of button pushing. Yeah. He might be one of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess this week it's Nikki's turn to share her story, so let's dive into it. Okay, so on February 18th of 1952, a fierce storm swept through the New England coast, which would also ex- extend to Cape Cod. Um, Cape Cod is a peninsula that extends to the Atlantic, and it's in the southeast corner of Massachusetts. Two T2SEA1 oil tankers were sailing through Cape Cape Cod when the storm hit. Wait, they were like really big oil tankers or? Yes. Yeah, okay. So a T- I'm like. You're okay. Yeah, it, that's just what it's called is a T2SEA1 oil tanker. Um, I'm just going to call them tankers or oil tankers in this. I'm not going to keep saying that T2SEA1 part. Yeah, okay. Are they those, like, big ones that you see driving on the highway full of gas? Is that what you mean? No, they're ships. Are they? Oh, oh, boats. It, yeah, it's a ship. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So they're not on the road. They're not, not on driving. the road. <laughs> they're in the sea. Okay. Okay. 
So a T-2 tanker was built cheaply during the World War II. These ships are 500 feet long, and they are known for breaking in half due to cold weather and heavy seas. Dang! This... Sorry. Dang, they, like the Titanic, they break in half? Yeah, but the Titanic broke in half because, like, what, it hit an iceberg or something? Well, yeah, I think it, like, yeah, it hit the iceberg and then it, the pressure of it after the sinking, so it broke in half. Yeah, these ones just have a manufacturer default where they just break in half. Oh. So. Oh, they have a, they should fix that. Yeah, they should, <laughs> but it's 1952. I don't know quite how well uh, recalls, do, what recalls do back then. Yeah, me neither. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So this storm caused both tankers to split in half. This storm would also cause 70 to 80 foot waves and 50 to 60 mile per hour winds. These tankers were called SS Mercer and the SS Pendleton. The Pendleton was 10 miles northeast of Chatham, Massachusetts, while the Mercer is 20 miles east off Nantucket. Nantucket. Um, how many people are on each one, does it say? Yes. The Pendleton has 40 and the Mercer has 43 men. Okay, that's aboard. a lot of people. So the SS Mercer split apart midday on February 18th while trying to ride out the gale. The gale is also a heavy storm. Okay. The crew members aboard the ship were able to immediately send out an SOS signal to the Coast Guard for rescue. The Nantucket and Boston Coast Guard sent all their crews to help the aid for the men aboard the SS Mercer. So the Nantucket and Boston Coast Guard, they sent everybody they had to help in the aid for the Mercer. Okay. Um, however, the Pendleton would not be so lucky. The SS Pendleton was built in 1944 in Portland, Oregon, United States for the War Shipping Administration. And then during this time, both ships were transporting kerosene and oil. Um, the Pendleton has also sustained a three-way fracture the previous year. And then for the repairs of this fracture, technicians would weld over the crack without actually fixing the problem. Yeah, so there's like a big, huge fracture in the ship, and instead of actually fixing it, they just basically hit it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, I, that sucks for those people. Yeah, but... absolutely it does. Yeah. So the ship ended up passing inspection in January, which is one month before this incident, before this storm. Okay. This huge fracture in the hole will play a critical part in this story. So during the same day, Siebert, he was a seaman on board that was working in the engine room. Mm -hmm. um, Siebert called the captain to let the captain know that the weld was not going to hold in the seas. He requested to slow down the ship a couple knots, which the current, sorry, which the captain ordered him to maintain their current speed. A loud humming noise began to sound from the welds, which made it hard for Siebert and the other crew members to communicate with each other. 
At this moment, Siebert was going to call the captain a second time to tell them they needed to slow down. And right when he picked up the phone to call, the weld broke apart in the engine room. An 18-foot fracture began spilling water all inside the engine room with such force, it slammed all the working men around it to the ground. Dang. The engine room is now filling up with water, and all the people that were working in that engine room just got, like, blasted with, like, little bits, like, shards of little bits of metal, and then just huge amounts of pressure of water coming through. Yeah. The lights went out and Siebert turns on the generator. So they have, they're in the engine room. They have a little backup generator in there. Um, he then runs back to the phone, but fails to get a hold of anyone on the bridge. The bridge is, um, if you were to look at this ship, so there's like the front of the ship, the back of the ship, and then kind of in the middle, but like a little bit more towards, towards the front, there's this little square building looking thing. Mm-hmm. which you would think maybe that's where the captain is to steer the boat. Um, that is called the bridge. So he was trying to call every somebody, anybody from that room, and he couldn't get a hold of anybody. The men immediately began, began to grab mattresses and bits of scrap to temporarily seal the fracture and slow the flow of water. When the Pendleton was split in half, the front half of the ship sunk so quickly that the captain and the seven and the other seven men on that side of the ship was unable to have enough time to send out a distress signal. All eight of these men did die. Oh, that's that's sad. Yeah. So everybody on the front of the ship died, and that the front of the ship sunk so fast that they couldn't send out a distress signal. They couldn't alert anybody about what was happening. They just sunk. Dang. Yeah. Okay. Due to the ship's massive size, the other 33 men in the back of the ship did not notice when the ship was split in half until a young seaman by the name of Chris Bridges walked down the catwalk to alert the captain of the fracture, only then to discover that the entire bow of the ship was gone. Siebert said he did hear a roar, like the thunder, and this was most likely due to the ship breaking in half. So Chris Bridges, okay, so Siebert was trying to get a hold of the captain, right, on the phone? Uh-huh. Yeah. And he couldn't get a hold of anyone. So he sends this man named Chris Bridges to walk down the catwalk to the bridge to let the captain or anybody else know what was happening. And when mm-hmm. Chris Bridges is walking down the catwalk, like, because it's a heavy storm, it's raining, it's dark. Right in front of him, the catwalk just ends, and the whole front of half the ship is gone. It's no, not that there. would, that would, no. <laughs> like, nope. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> when the rest of the crew learns this, they begin to pray and debate whether to launch the lifeboats or not. Um, They decided to not launch the lifeboats because the rafts would not last in such bad conditions and they would end up slamming against the hull of the ship until they all sank. Oh my god, yeah, because the storm, so they can't just like... They wouldn't be able to get away. What do they do when there's this... They have to like... Yeah, they (laughs) have to just go through it. 
Yeah, I so I wouldn't know what they would have to do. Um, yeah, that sucks. They ended up this deciding to not launch the lifeboats, and instead just like, just kind of see what they can do to stay afloat. Meanwhile, after this decision, a crew member kept blowing the ship's horn in hopes to lure other boats or people on shore. Because they're just off of the Cape. They're not quite in the ocean. Okay, but, yeah, they're like... Yeah, yeah. they're pretty kind of close to the shore. Um, the Coast Guard has a radar that shows them the Pendleton's location. And then from that, it shows them two locations. And this is because of the ship splitting in half. Um, I am unable to find out exactly how the Coast Guard knew they needed rescue. Shows a man being able to hear the horn bellowing from the sea and reports it to the Coast Guard. Um, but either way, the men aboard the Pendleton had to wait eight hours for the rescue. Did that make sense? Yeah. So are there 33 men left on the ship or? Yeah. Okay. There's 33 and then eight men have died on the front of the boat, the front of the ship. Okay. Chatham Station was on its own in the Pendleton rescue because the Nantucket and Boston Coast Guards had dispatched all their crews to rescue the men on the SS Mercer. So they're all by themselves. They have nobody. It's just yeah. Chatham Station, just one crew, because all the other crews have went to the Mercer. So first class Bernard Weber, who I'm going to call Bernie, was tasked to take a 36-foot-long CG-36-500 motor lifeboat and find himself a crew of three other men to assist him in this rescue. This lifeboat also has a total of 12 seats. And then many of the men called it a suicide mission. Yeah, if it only has... How many... Okay, so this boat has 12 seats. So it can yeah. hold, like, 12 people? Yes, and that's 12 seats total. So there's four men doing this rescue mission. Yeah. So that's Bernie and then three other volunteers. And then, so they only have eight available seats left. And there's 33 men. Yeah. And it's a horrible storm right now. Yeah. Yep. And there's two different locations. Yep. They don't know exactly which one they're going to. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. So many of the other men called it a suicide mission, but mm -hmm. then three volunteers, but then three volunteers, Richard Livesey, Andy Fitzgerald, and Irvin Mask, decided to go with Bernie and help. The most dangerous part of this mission was getting past the sandbar. You know what the sandbar is? No. Is that like. Like, never mind. You you explain it. What is it? So like, so in the when you first go out into the waters, you know, like the seas are a little bit rougher because there's yeah. the rocks. There's they're in like a little peninsula, so there's a little bit more wind. Um, that is what they call the sandbar. Oh, okay. Um, so the sandbar is described as a collection of ever shifting shoals with flood currents carrying ocean waves that can splinter small boats 
in a matter of seconds, and that's just in normal weather. Dang. These guys aren't going to survive, are they? Like, I know what this podcast is, but... Well, it it is a true survival podcast. Yeah. So, (laughs) somebody will survive. (laughs) At least one. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, Cape Cod Bay is also often referred to as the graveyard of the Atlantic and had seen 3,000 shipwrecks over several centuries. Okay. So they're going past the sandbar, which is already bad as it is, and then Cape Cod is just, Cape Cod Bay is also just a graveyard. The crew thought hard about whether to even attempt it, but they decided that they would. They began to head out in the sandbar. Almost every wave that came over them would knock the rescue boat over on its side. But oh. thankfully, this boat was a self-rightening boat. Oh. So, like, it's like a little buoy boat. So if yeah. it, like, falls over to the side, it'll, like, come back up. But there was a couple instances where they would get whipped. Like, they would get hit by a wave. And then they would like kind of come up and then they would get whipped by another ro- wave and almost completely roll over. Dang. Yeah, they're they're getting their butts kicked out there. Yeah. So, however, every time it did roll over to its side, the 90 horsepower motor would stall out. This made Andy Fitzgerald cramped up in the crawl space engine compartment to keep on turning the engine back over. This left him with bad burns and bruises. So basically, every time that they hit a wave, they have to hurry and immediately like start the engine back up before the next wave comes. Otherwise, yeah. it'll just whip them and like completely barrel roll them away. And I just I just realized this is like 1952. Yeah. So they don't have the cool technology we have. They're like, yeah, they don't have the push to start. Yeah. I imagine they're pulling on, like, the little pull string. Yeah, like our lawnmower. Yeah. Yeah. So during this time of the rescue, Bernie was tormented by a previous failed rescue attempt of a scalloper called William J. Landry, which took place two years earlier in 1950. So, wait, that one was a failed? Yeah. It was a mission that he's done two years earlier, and... The next couple parts, I go into a little bit of a description of it, but basically they couldn't get out of the sandbar to rescue them. They couldn't even begin the rescue. I feel like this one's personal to him now. This is his redemption story. Yeah. And so this whole time, like, he's like, man, I got to get out of the sandbar. I got to get out of the sandbar. Yeah. And so if he can't get out of the sandbar, he can't rescue them. Among four who tried to get out of the sandbar during a storm but their dory capsized multiple times on the way to the rescue boat. And after four attempts to get out, they gave up due to their oars breaking, and the victim's remains were never recovered. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it was a completely failed mission. Yeah, that's sad. He's going to get his redemption now, though. He's not going to fail this one. (laughs) I hope not. So the victim's remains were never recovered. A huge wave came over the boat, which knocked Weber down. In addition, the windshield was shattered into pieces and knocked the compass from its mount. So is that the 
the oil rig or the, the, the rescue boat? The rescue boat. And then Weber also decided not to wear a life jacket oh. uh, because he wanted to be able to move as quickly as he possibly could um, to like kind of maneuver around these waves. So when this wave, huge wave came over the boat, it completely went up the top of the boat and kind of flooded the inside and Weber was knocked down completely. But he, thankfully, he did not fall out of the boat. That's good. Is um, it, Weber's the one who's on the redemptions, the redemption mission right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why he's not wearing a life jacket. <laughs> and he's like, do or die. <laughs> yeah, he's got to save the most people. So this wave, it did shatter the windshield. And with that, it knocked the compass from its mouths. Um, This left him with no navigation to get back to the Pendleton and back to land. So they have no GPS, per se, for the Pendleton. Because that's what they were basing it off of is was just going to the Pendleton. Now they don't have that. All they had was their searchlight. However, the men were able to find the Pendleton from the horrible sounds of twisting metal. Oh. <laughs> I would be bad. That's not a good noise. Yeah. 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 And then just being in like the dark and like ter- ter- treacherous seas, just trying to find the sound of twisting yeah. metal. It's kind and of, it's 1952, like, so everything's black and white, you know? Yeah. That's exactly that's just nightmare fuel right there yeah yeah exactly (laughs) okay so after bernie and his crew made it past the sandbar they assumed it was a ghost ship until they saw one man on the deck on the deck then that one man was followed by dozens more there was 33 men aboard the back of the pendleton waiting to be rescued they quickly realized that the number of men that needed to be rescued far exceeded the capacity of the boat, but they all agreed that they would all live or we would all die. What are they going to do now? They only have eight free seats. <laughs> yeah, well, they're going to have to figure something out because okay. they're there. They made it yeah. past the sandbar, which is the most But now they have part. to go back. They're going to have to do it back and forth. They only have eight open seats. Yeah. They're either going to have to put everybody on the rescue boat or they're going to have to make trips. I don't know how OSHA was in 1952, but if they did that now, OSHA would be having a fit that they put 33 people plus four on a 12 person boat. Probably. Yeah. But I I think now, I think this is all speculation, but I think in scenarios like this, OSHA might have a little bit of wiggle room. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Depending on how much money you receive from, like, the news. Yeah, okay, that's fair. fair. (laughs) The men aboard the Pendleton quickly, one by one, climbed down the Jacob's Ladder and were pulled into the lifeboat. George Myers, he is also called Tiny. He was the largest man. He was a 300 pound man. Jeez. Yeah, no judgment here. No, no, I'm just like, that is, 
Was he really tall too? He was tall. He was large. Oh, okay. So after slipping off the Jacob's ladder, do you know what the Jacob's ladder is? No, I don't. It's the ladder that's off the side of the boat that hangs off the side. Okay. So the crew tried, he slipped on it and the crew tried to pull him aboard, but due to his weight, they were unable to pull him back up and they began to lose grip. They ended up losing grip of him, and since the waves were so big, it completely swallowed him. He did, however, resurface, but when Bernie navigated the lifeboat to him, a wave struck the lifeboat in the side, making Bernie lose control of it, and it ended up slamming into Tiny. Aww. Yeah, he didn't resurface after that. His death would haunt Bernie Weber and his fellow car coast guard men for years hmm. yeah super sad yeah at this point all the surviving men were aboard the lifeboat but without a compass to guide them back to shore they were left in sea stranded for a little while until bernie was able to get his bearings back so they've just rescued the men mm-hmm. bernie doesn't have a compass and he's, they're just sitting out in the dark ocean, listening to the sounds of twisting metal for Bernie to get his bearings back to figure out how to get them back ashore. Dang. But um, they're, they're all in the, the little boat? Yep. They're all, all, all crammed onto it. Eight available seats left, but like that's just OSHA regulations. You don't honestly need to follow those. Okay. <laughs> so they're all just crammed onto this little boat. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is there so, a picture of that? There is. And oh, we good. will upload it. Bernie ordered to turn the spotlight off on the raft, and he was able to barely make out the lighthouse's spotlight beam. Slowly, Bernie drifted towards it because he was unable to accelerate the boat due to the large number of people on board. He also did not want to risk capsizing with the massive waves and have people fall off of it. So he's just basically drifting. They're not using any acceleration. They're just drifting with these waves back to shore. And he's just steering to get them to go towards that spotlight beam. Okay. It might Um, work. It could work. It could work. So the way back wasn't as treacherous because they were drifting with the waves and not against them. Once Bernie and his crew made it back to the pier, he was met with dozens of locals who showed up to help the 32 survivors off the boat and transport them back to the Coast Guard station where it was warm. So this whole rescue, like it was kind of on like the radio back in town and so people heard that like the rescue was happening and so they all like they didn't know exactly how many people were aboard the the lifeboat but they knew it was going on so they waited at the the pier to help them um well that's nice that's nice that they heard that and like yeah i don't think you would see that now these days the very next day after the rescue the Coast Guard was able to find the stern grounded off Monomoy Island, 
where it now lives today underwater. Monomoy Island is south of Chatham. Um, also, the stern is the rear of the ship. So that's the part that they got rescued off of. Mm -hmm. The bow of the ship, which is the front of the ship, grounded on Pollock Rip Shoal. This section of the Pendleton was sold in 1953 to North American Smelting Company for recycling. All four crew members that assisted in this rescue were awarded the Coast Guard Gold Life-Saving Medal. Sorry, he got his redemption. He did. He, he sure did. He got did. it. He did it. I'm go so Willie. Bernie. That's his name right. Bernie. Go Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> so proud of him. Yeah. The rescue of the Pendleton is considered one of the most daring rescues in the history of the United States Coast Guard. Bernie would end up retiring from service in 1966, and in 2009, at the age of 80, Bernie Weber died, and the rank he was at at the time of his death was Chief Warrant Officer 4. Dang. Yeah, so he, I imagine he lived a very fulfilling life after this. Yeah. And now that was basically the story I had. I do have a couple interesting facts. So Miriam, who was his wife, um, had yeah. the flu during this entire rescue. Miriam had the flu during this entire rescue. And if you watch the movie, The Finest Hour, uh -huh. it shows like Miriam playing a really big part. But really, she didn't. She was just home in bed. Um, and then her and Bernie haven't talked for two days because him being in the Coast Guard, sometimes they have to go a little bit of a stretch before talking. Uh -huh. So I'm pretty sure she didn't even realize what was happening until the end of it. 38. Okay, so here's a good part of the SS Mercer that we didn't go into. Just so everybody knows, the SS Mercer, it, the rescue mission on, on that it was almost as incredible as this one. I just, I didn't talk about the two. But 38 men were rescued on the SS Mercer and five lost their lives. Aww. But it was better than this one because seven or eight people lost their lives on the Pendleton. Yeah. The last man rescued on the Mercer was rescued 17 minutes before the bow section reared up and sank. The rescuers in aid of the SS Mercer were also awarded the Gold Lifesaving Medal for their efforts. And then oil and kerosene was leaked across the Atlantic Ocean from both of these shipwrecks. That's not good. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But it happens. That's what happens when you live in a world that's ran off of fossil fuels. Yeah. Good old 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, and then I have some Bernie facts because I, I want to hear about Bernie. Yeah. Because I know we all love Bernie. Bernard Weber Bernie was born May 9th of 1928 in Milton, Massachusetts. At the age of 16, Bernie Weber served in the Merchant Marine during World War II. He was 16, okay. and he was like 16. being a Marine. Then in the year 1946, 
Bernie joined the U.S. Coast Guard, where he was assigned to Chatham Station in Massachusetts. Then in 16th of July of 1950, Bernie married a girl named Miriam. Aww. Yeah, the love of his life. Hey, well, that was my story. 